Ineffably Yours, Part 1, by Secondhand News. Chapter 46, Wildflowers, read by Viada. August 2020, 10 days until the rapture, the love nest, London. Crowley woke up alone and exhausted. He rolled onto his stomach, slid one arm across the mattress and felt the reassuring warmth where Aziraphale had laid beside him. He couldn't have been up long, probably making breakfast. He'd come bustling in any moment, wide wooden tray held in both hands, a cheerful flower in a tiny single-stem vase he picked up a few days ago. It hurt, all the quiet ways he was trying to be comforting in the last days. Don't, Crowley wanted to say. Please don't make me love you any more than I already do. The demon closed his eyes, head turned towards the open door as he listened for any residual sound filtering out from the kitchen. Focusing on nothing other than the absolute present, it was a new technique, something he'd been employing over the last few days with varying results. He could hear the low chatter of their neighbors leaving for work in the corridor outside, could hear the patter of Aziraphale's slippered feet against the tiles in the kitchen, and if he concentrated, the bubbling rumble of the kettle boiling. Ten days. Ten more nights to fall asleep next to Aziraphale. Ten more days to spend in the shop, to wander through the park, to reminisce about the lifetimes they had lived apart, and finally, together. Single digits would come next, and then the countdown would hit a week, five days, one day. And then it would be here. Get it together, he hissed, clenching his fists until his nails dug half-moons into his palms. You can lay in bed, wallowing, or you can do something. Stop. He fell silent before the words had a chance to form. Swinging his legs out of bed and sitting still as he heard Aziraphale's voice sing-song its way in from the living room. Who is he talking to? Ralph furrowed in confusion and, inexplicably mild irritation, he padded out into the living room to find Aziraphale whispering words of encouragement to Freddy, the anthurium plant, who was on the cusp of unfurling a beautiful coral red flower. He felt something deeply coiled begin to unwind in his chest something that felt like a flare of misplaced anger. What are you doing? Aziraphale jumped a little, turned to face him. Oh, a couple of them are looking a little dry. I thought I'd... The angel trailed off, recognized the rising heat in Crowley's cheeks, that physical flush of annoyance that the demon hated. It gives me away, he'd said once. I don't mind it. I quite like it, actually. Aziraphale smiled brightly. He gestured down to Freddy's half-bloomed bud, remembered Crowley telling him how tricky it was to encourage an anthurium to bloom year after year. Look at this. Give it a week or so and he'll be dead, along with the rest of them. Along with us! He stalked forward a few paces, snatched the copper watering can out of Aziraphale's hand, and placed it back on the shelf. Not much point in delaying the inevitable. Might as well put them out of their misery now. Dragging it out? 
That's a very specific type of cruelty. There's still time, Aziraphale said quietly, disappearing into the kitchen and reappearing a moment later with two cups of tea. He found Curly reclined dramatically on the sofa with all the angular frailty of a Victorian waif. I'm not ready to give up yet. They should have killed us there and then. Crowley leaned forward, elbows resting against his thighs as he stared into his cup, as if it might contain the answer to the existential horrors that his brain drummed up day and night. Forcing us to live out our last days trying to outrun death? Despicable, even for heaven. Aziraphale glanced across at him, saw the utter desolation in his face, and pursed his lips to keep from smiling. Don't you dare, he warned himself. Now is not the time. It was impossible to take Crowley entirely seriously when he sank so deeply into self-indulgent woe. His voice always took on a specifically mournful tone, as if he was delivering the penultimate soliloquy of a tragic drama. If it wasn't so tragic, it would have been fascinating, examining the different ways they handled the sentence they had chosen. Aziraphale knew his own process of grief hadn't been particularly elegant, had involved a lot of time slumped on the floor, whether that was from mental exhaustion or an unholy amount of alcohol. Crowley's grief was more introspective. It rendered him morose, hunched over as he slunk from room to room, hissing petulantly about everything from the room temperature, mind-numbingly unremarkable, to the organization of the refrigerator. Angel, why would the mustard be next to the milk? Condiments and beverages don't belong together. The only upshot of Crowley's descent into demonic gloom was that it had forced Aziraphale to remain positive. One of them had to be. It was the unspoken rule. They never would have made it this far if they hadn't had each other to lean on in the difficult times. And, Aziraphale reminded himself, there had been plenty of difficult times in the last 6,000 years. Before the rapture, before Armageddon, there had been other moments when it had felt like disaster was imminent, but they had hauled each other through it time and time again. Perhaps it was merely the finality of this specific disaster that made it feel so seminal. It was like Raphael had said, every tragedy that befell Crowley was a mistake, but not a surprise. He was never meant to fit in, never destined to go quietly. The thing that had surprised Aziraphale was that there was anything exceptional about his own destiny. He had spent his entire existence trying to go with the grain, too afraid to ruffle any feathers, determined to be what was expected of him. That final act of defiance, though it may lead to the end of his lifetime, was quietly liberating in its own dreadful way. August, 2020. Eight days to the rapture. The Love Nest, London. There must be something. Aziraphale tapped a finger against his knee, staring out of the living room window and searching for answers. Eight days left. He had not thought of a plan. Yet, he added, optimistically. It had been a long day, the type of day that was packed full of so much goodness from dusk to dawn that by the time evening rolled around, all you could do was collapse happily onto the sofa and sigh contentedly. 
Crowley had woken him that morning with a long, leisurely kiss, ushered him out of bed, and promised a day of adventures. They'd enjoyed breakfast at the little cafe down the street that did particularly delectable things to the holy trinity of eggs, cream, and butter. Curly's calf pressed warmly against his under the table as he shared his plans for the day. Somewhere we've never visited, he said with a smile, fork waving in the air to highlight each word. Little things we never made time to do. After that, there had been a lively drive up to Highgate, the Bentley getting a chance to stretch its metaphorical wings as it flew through the city streets, narrowly missing pedestrians and cars alike. Aziraphale wailed his customary refrain about speed limits, had hung out the window to holler apologies behind them after Crowley blasted down a toll road without even pausing to chuck a token fiver out of the window. The demon cackled around every sharp bend, drummed a rhythm on the steering wheel to echo the beat of the songs that served as a soundtrack to their journey. The rest of the morning had been spent ambling hand in hand through Highgate Cemetery. Aziraphale had been unsure when Crowley had first mentioned it, didn't think that spending hours walking through the playground of the dead was the best idea given how tenuous their grip on positivity was. He was happy to be proved wrong, had watched Crowley look up into the canopy of trees that overhung the winding pathway, and smile, eyes closed, as tranquility relaxed the lines around his eyes. I'm sorry, the demon had murmured then, sliding both arms around Aziraphale's shoulders and pulling him close, sunshine streaming through the trees and dappling their backs. I... Let it get the best of me these last few days. Aziraphale took his face in his hands, swept one finger across his forehead to brush back a stray look of hair, kissed him gently. You'll owe me an apology the day I have to carry you home from the other side of London after you disappeared to drown your sorrows. That is true. And don't forget about, if you say the taxi incident, Crowley... Aziraphale rolled his eyes, tugged the demon further down the path, chattering loudly about where they might find the specific gravestone they were searching for. I don't know what it was that tipped the driver off, Crowley continued, voice rising in volume as Aziraphale tried to drown him out. I can only assume it was the slurping from the back seat. Crowley, I think at one point you shouted something about the hellfire in my jeans? Crowley, please, there are people around. Didn't bother you that night, though, did it, eh? What was the other thing you said? Hang on, let me get it right. You, Aziraphale, protector of humanity, said to me, I'm going to get the demon out of you with my holy water. Crowley, please! Oh, here it is. Smiling innocently, Crowley came to stop in front of the Rossetti family plot as Aziraphale tore along behind him, shooting apologetic glances at passerby who were caught in the crossfire. I used to be so afraid of everything I wanted to say to you. Aziraphale sighed, taking Crowley's hand as they stood side by side in front of the grave, sheltered by low-hanging branches and thick, waxy leaves. Her final resting place looked as though it was emerging from a jungle. 
from another world beyond the one they stood in. She gave me the words. Crowley smiled, remembering nights spent in the bookshop listening to his earful read to him. His voice would be confident, practiced, until the hours would draw on and he would bury his nose in a thick tome of poetry, searching for just the right words. He would change then, his voice coming quietly, as if he could take the words back at any time if they were only a whisper. Somehow she knew what was inside our hearts better than we did. Aziraphale leans in to read the inscription on the headstone. All those years we spent hiding behind other people's words instead of our own. Next to him, Crowley laughed, squinting up at the sky as if every human artist and poet and songwriter who had played a role in their destiny might appear there at any moment. It's the age-old question, Angel. How many humans does it take to make an angel and a demon fall in love? Too many, and also none at all. Remember me when I am gone away. Gone far away into the silent land, when you can no more hold me by the hand, nor I half turn to go, yet turning stay. Remember, Christina Rossetti. A crash from the kitchen pulled as ear fell out of his happy recollection of a day very well spent. It was a sharp sound, glass splintering against metal. A faint echo, and then silence. Everything all right in there? When there was no reply, Aziraphale heaved himself up from the sofa and pottered into the kitchen to find Crowley with his back to him, hands braced on either side of the sink, motionless except for the trembling of his shoulders. Blood dripped rhythmically from one fingertip, a hollow thud, thud, thud into the sink. From Crowley's mouth came tiny, gasping breaths, the sound of somebody trying to keep it together, forcing themselves to stop crying before it had really even begun. Sensing the angel standing behind him, he straightened up and lowered his head, wiping his eyes roughly with the sleeve of his shirt as he turned around. Slipped right out of my hand, he murmured, laughing shakily, gesturing down to the broken glass in the sink. You're hurt. Aziraphale tugged a clean tea towel from a nearby drawer, crafted gently around the gash in the demon's index finger. His words felt as though they might just be the grossest understatement in eternity. He looked up at Crowley's red-rimmed eyes as he pressed the towel against his hand, covered it with his own, and held it tightly. It could have been miracled away in a second, the scratch, and yet neither made the move to do so. You don't have to hide from me, my love. It might have been Aziraphale's words, or the gentle hand he laid on Crowley's cheek, or the way the moonlight caught the angel's eyes just so, or any one of a million things, but something in Crowley broke in that moment. I had one life, Angel. His words came out as a sob. A sound that hung heavy with the weight of regret. I did so much 
evil with it. Could have been good. I was created for good. Now my time is almost up and all I'll leave behind me is misery. You have done so much more good than you'll ever know. Aziraphale held him close, reaching up to cradle his demon's head against his shoulder. You made my life good, at least. All you had to do was be in it. You saved me so many times, I used to think of you as my guardian angel. Thoughts of the road not traveled swirled in Crowley's mind, of all the thousands of ways life would have been different if he hadn't fallen. Would they have found their way to each other in heaven? Crossed paths on the way to Raphael's office. Felt that spark? He blinked away the imagined memory. I haven't been an angel for a long time. You have been to me. Crowley bit his lip, pressed his forehead to the shoulder of his false jacket, and finally whispered the truth. I wish I could leave them with something good. Make something beautiful one last time. August 2020. Seven days until the rapture. Lambeth, London. Where are we going? Crowley allowed himself to get tugged along behind Aziraphale, who had been leading him in silence for miles turning to look back every now and then and smile as though he was about to share a secret. We've been walking for hours. Aziraphale pulled his watch out of his waistcoat pocket with his spare hand. It's been less than an hour, Crowley. Don't be dramatic. We'll be there soon. Patience. Is a virtue? Yes, you said that once or twice before. Not sure if you noticed, but time is... And I really can't stress this enough, of the essence. It was close to midnight by the time his ear fell slowed to a stop and let go of Curly's hand, holding open the neat cut in the chain link fence to usher the demon through. He clambered in behind him and took a few steps over the uneven ground, the earth baked into solid clay by the unrelenting summer sunshine. Still, despite its sad appearance, Aziraphale could feel residual love rise up from its depths, like an old dog waking up after a long sleep. This place had been cared for once, a refuge for those who needed to escape, to wander amongst nature and have somewhere to breathe. That had been many years ago, before budget cuts and red tape, back when life was about more than just survival. It had gone to ruin long ago, a graveyard where community and beauty for the sake of beauty had been long since buried. Corley looked around at the wasteland in front of them, pushed his glasses up into his hairline, and turned to Aziraphale. Why have you brought me here, Angel? So you can make something beautiful. One last time. There had been times throughout Corley's existence rather a lot of them, when the love he had for Aziraphale felt like something beyond measure, something indescribable, too big to hold on to, 
He thought of those moments as his life's highlight reel, the memories he had clung to when he could just as easily have sunk into the darkness. It was the push he had needed that day in Tadfield to hold onto the Antichrist and the angel and pull them somewhere else, buy them that time they'd so desperately needed. In that moment, as he stepped forward into the ruined place that had once been a garden, felt Aziraphale's hand slip from his as the angel stayed put. He loved him more than he ever had. What if I can't make anything anymore? What if it's too late? Aziraphale watched him take those first cautious steps towards the life he had left behind so long ago, smiled encouragingly when he turned back with uncertainty in his eyes. Create whatever is in your heart, whatever you love. Let it bloom. Bloom. Crowley looked up into the darkness, into the stars that watched them from high above. How long ago had it been, he wondered, since he had first walked among the stars with Raphael. He thought of the earliest days, of the memories that were forever lodged in his periphery, infallible to the ravages of time, those transformative centuries spent by the archangel's side, watching, learning, and then creating. There had been countless times when loving Aziraphale had made him weak, as many times when it had made him hopeful, or furious, or indescribably happy. That night, when Aziraphale gave him the gift of creation, he felt only strength. It was somehow both the smallest and most infinite gesture, the opportunity to be himself, his true self, one more time. It was redemption, the kind he had dreamed of but failed to find within heaven's gates. To work, the demon whispered, and then he began. He bent low to the ground, pulled tree trunks from the earth and sent them sprawling high above, gnarled branches twisting out and pushing forth wide, damp leaves, stretching around the perimeter of the abandoned park until they formed a meandering woodland. A small path wound its way amongst them, sprays of snowdrops and bluebells and happy yellow daffodils rearing their heads as if waking from a dream. Seasons were irrelevant within this space. This land knew only to bloom with all the beauty one fallen angel had carried, hidden, in his heart for six thousand years. As he moved further into the park, it was like shaking out a stone in his shoe that had been there for a century. The relief at seeing those little green shoots twist up from the cracked clay and rise up 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 into the night until they were thick emerald stems, ruby red flowers the size of a fist springing to life in the darkness. For the nighttime wanderers, he murmured thoughtfully, trailing one hand gently along the ground and leaving moonflowers in his wake, silken white cups opening behind him and greeting the moon. Under the velvet sky, pinpricked with winking stars, Crowley transformed the wasteland into a slice of utopia, filled every nook with the most beautiful flowers and trees. Ideas he had brought to every corner of the globe, nestled side by side, 
swaying gently in the wind and filling the night air with heavenly perfume. The powdered floral scent of rose wrapped around Aziraphale like an old friend and he watched Crowley dream up a bush of deep pink roses that climbed up against the rusted chain-link fence, transforming it into a jeweled wall of greenery. Morocco, the angel thought, laughing at the inescapable reminder. He looked around and saw the world laid out in front of him. Rome, Paris, Malta, the Cornish coast, even a cluster of purple lupins to represent Iceland. They were all there, the places they'd visited over the centuries, a flowering map of their love story through the ages. As Crowley brought paradise to one great area of London, Aziraphale saw everything that he was, all that he was before he fell, all that he could have been. How much beauty did the world lose out on after he was cast out, he wondered. The angel watched him in awe watched the burden his soul had carried for so long slip away with every new flower he breathed life into. He was radiant, angelic in a way none of them in heaven could have dreamed of being. It was there, in Crowley's garden, as he watched his soulmate finally find peace after a lifetime of longing for it, that Aziraphale accepted whatever fate the rapture held for them. Death or oblivion or eternal life, what did it matter after one life on earth, well lived in full? It was Crowley who had been so desperate to do good one last time, but it was Aziraphale who found himself grateful for the last heavenly act he had been able to carry out, to give the love of his life one last night as an angel. Crowley dusted his hands off on the thighs of his jeans turned in a slow circle to take in his handiwork, and smiled. It was good. There was just one thing left to do. He knelt down and pressed both hands to the cracked, dusty ground. Anything could be reborn. He knew that now. Anything could become beautiful again with patience, with love. As he stood up, the first drops of rain began to fall, kissing the parched earth and soaking into the cracks like a balm to soothe away long-suffered aches. Aziraphale looked up into the torrent of rain, felt droplets splash onto his face, mixing with tears as they streaked across his skin. He let Crowley lead him through the garden, stumbled down its paths in wonder as he looked upon everything the demon had pulled into being. Eden, he breathed. Everything it should have been. Not Eden, Angel. Ours. Amid the wildflowers that had been the silent backdrop to all of the places in which they'd lived and loved throughout eternity, two angels kissed by the fading light of the moon as a new day began to bloom on the horizon. And when London awoke that morning, they found that paradise had come to one corner of the city a week ahead of schedule. Heaven on Earth, the headlines read. A miracle, 